What's up, what's up, y'all? This is Dave. And this is Devin. And you're listening to the Dave and Dev Podcast. Dave and Dev. Gotta keep it real like Dave and Dev. On my job like Dave and Dev. Tell no lie like Dave and Dev. Some days I wanna stay in bed, but I get ready for the day ahead. I wanna complain, but I pray instead. Then I'm on my way to the Dave and Dev. And it go like, I don't need a crew. Don't play by he say, she say rules. Don't play, no, we can't do. I'd rather have faith while G-O-D make moves. So please stay cool. All, all I do is speak the truth on things I see they do. I'm a sinner myself. No lie, I need grace too. We lit like EKU. Yeah. What's up, Devon? Yo, what's going on, Dave? Hey, listen, man. Before we get into this podcast with Dr. Daniel Bennett, if you have not heard yet, if you've been living under a rock, if you ain't listened to the last episode, if you haven't been on our social media page, Devon, tell them what they got to look forward to. Dave, we got brand new Dave and Dev merch. <laughs> Yo, so we got a website. We got all the merchandise on there. So you guys can go on there, shop up all the Dave and Dev stuff to help us out. Look, to help you all out, help us out. We got a promo code that's going to be found in our social medias uh, on one of our posts. Okay. Use that promo code and give somebody the gift of Dave and Dev merchandise for Christmas. All right. Your proceeds are going to help us make this podcast better for you all. And it's going to help other ministries that we partner with that, that come onto this podcast as well. Yes. Go get it. Go check it out. Promo code is live for two weeks. Get yourself some merch. Send us pictures. We'll feature you on our page, our story. Me and Devin will shout you out personally. We might call you, text you, share it with your friends. We're super excited. In the meantime, go enjoy this podcast with Daniel Bennett. And please wait until the show's over to get that merch. Just wait till the show's over to get the merch. <laughs> hey, what's up, Devin? Yo, what's going on, Dave? How's it going, man? Uh, I'm good. So this is a uh, recording on a Sunday. We've only done this one other time with the same guest. With the same guest. And it's always, it's always special. So I'm excited about this one. Super special. Heck yeah, man. Well, before we get too far into it, uh, I want to talk to the listeners about a couple things. Uh, one, as we mentioned last time, uh, we are going to uh, be breaking for a couple of months. Um, here, here in just another week or two, we're going to record this podcast and another one. Uh, but we also are going to release an episode that we recorded with the Eastern Progress from EKU, where we both graduated from, called The Mix. Uh, That link is posted on my Facebook page for theirs. And then, like I said, we will have that posted on ours shortly. Yep. And, uh, yeah, go check that out. And we'll post, yeah, like Dave said, we'll post it on our stuff. And we'll just, just check it out, see how we did, comment, all that stuff. I thought it was a good conversation, Dave. What'd you think? Yep. 
it was a really good conversation. I thought it was really cool that, and again, we'll probably talk a little bit about this when we uh, release it for ourselves, but uh, the podcast was not um, uh, inherently like uh, biblical or sports-based or anything like that. Um, but Devin and I had the opportunity to share a lot about ourselves, which just so happens to speak on our faith. And <laughs> so we couldn't help but, but talk about it. So it's fun. It was a good time. Go check it out. And we look forward to bringing it to our page, like we said. But, man, let's go ahead and get into it, man. The, the last time that we had this guest on was July 29th, 100 days before the election. Now, here we are, a little shy of two weeks after the election, Mr. Daniel Bennett, doctor. I want to say, Dan. In the cut. Welcome to the show our unofficially official political analyst of the Dave and Deb podcast. Dave, That's a pretty big honor, guys. Yeah, you know what? I I don't know if you knew this or not, but you're hired. <laughs> it's, it's, it's now, it's now uh, Dave, Deb, and Dan when you're on the show. That's right. Wow. It's a really hey. low-paying job, but uh, it, it does have benefits. I'll take it. <laughs> All right, man. So the listeners, they should know about you already if they're faithful uh, to the podcast. But if they're not, just give a little short summary about who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Daniel Bennett, I'm a professor at John Brown University in Northwest Arkansas, uh, where I teach political science. Uh, I also work with the Center for Faith and Flourishing here on campus. Uh, Used to live in Kentucky and teach at EKU, uh, where I met you guys. Um, but we've been here since fall of 2016. And uh, what else? Uh, married to my wife, Caitlin, for 11 years, three kids. Uh, it's pretty crazy, but uh, keeps us busy. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dan, I'm going to start off with the with the big question here. Do we have a president? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, it is November what? 15th. November 15th. So Keep that in mind. <laughs> so, Devon, I'm just going to answer the question the way you pose it. Yes, we do have a president. Okay. Uh, his name is Donald Trump, okay. and he was inaugurated. <laughs> now, let me finish. He was inaugurated on January 20th, 2017. Uh, and per the Constitution of the United States, his term will end at noon on January 20th, 2021. And the president-elect will become the president. Now, I think what you were asking, Devrin, is do we have a president? No, 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 no. You you, you answered it perfectly. Because I'm- okay, good. Yes, we still have a president then. That's good. I don't want to presume anything. Okay, so that's important to know. So we, we have, so right now, there is no anarchy going on that you know of. I mean, maybe in Portland, if Donald Trump is accurate on Twitter. Um, I don't really know. Uh, my friend still lives in Portland. He tells me it's kind of weird, but nothing too crazy going on. As the United States goes, we still have a president. We still have a functioning government. Uh, not much has changed in the nearly two weeks after the election. It's so crazy, too, because, like, when I listened back to that episode you were on, you mentioned a couple things to, to look out for. And one of those was Donald Trump questioning the legitimacy of mail-in votes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I know that it was kind of, like, told, uh, like, that was something that he had mentioned prior, and, and mm-hmm. he kind of told his base, like, hey, look, we're come to the polls, you know, sort of thing. But anyway, I just think it's so funny because you really, like, hammered on that, like, this is going to be a thing. 
And sure enough, here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that was kind of telegraphed, uh, particularly when you combine it with the fact that uh, a number of states, including Pennsylvania, had a rule that says you can't, you, you couldn't start counting these mail-in votes until until uh, until election day. You couldn't even do anything with them. And so naturally, a lot of these votes that were in retrospect, going to swing heavily towards uh, the former vice president and president-elect Biden. Uh, they didn't ca get counted until later, which gave it the appearance of kind of a shady, sketchy outcome. But in reality, we kind of just, you, you could see this coming from a mile away. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't change how, it doesn't change the fact that it's still kind of crazy right now, but it's not like this was totally surprising. Right. Okay. So we have a president and a president-elect right now. So the next question we have to ask you is about, like, how common is voter fraud? It's not, it, it's not uh, impossible. Uh, it happens. Uh, it is not possible for it to swing the outcome of a typical election, let alone a presidential election. Okay, so so in a typical case, go ahead. So so the chances of thousands and thousands and millions and millions of voter fraud cases happening are you're saying slim to none? It's uh, it's about as close to zero as possible. Um, just given the sense that it's technically possible, but. Uh, at that point, we're well beyond the realm of possibility. And there's a few reasons why. First of all, uh, in order to, uh, if, we're, if we're talking about voter fraud at the individual level, well, let's say you and Dave each voted twice or five times or 10 times, you know, you could technically maybe find a way to game the system and do that. But the cost of doing that for you would drastically outweigh the benefit of doing so. Uh, just given the fact that it's not going to swing the outcome of any individual election. And so maybe you go to the perspective of, well, well, actually, it's city and local, it's city officials and government officials just flooding these elections with fraudulent ballots, et cetera. Well, if that's the case, you have to have dozens of people in on this scheme across states, across political parties, too, and no one is uh, blowing the whistle. Um, and so at some point it becomes, it, it transitions from a likely scenario into bona fide crazy conspiracy land scenario. So, so wait, so, the, so you're telling me that millions of illegal, quote unquote, illegal votes is just a conspiracy? It, it, it sounds to me like a conspiracy, yes. Oh, okay. It sounds All to right. me. You know, that's good because we, we need to establish that before we move forward. I'm not the expert, Dan. You know, you're gonna you're gonna be the one receiving the hate mail because you, right. you said it. I just I That's just right. needed to clear that up real quick. Just so millions of okay, so we had is this the highest voter turnout ever? It, 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 well, not not necessarily in percentage, but in, in overall numbers, yeah, yeah. Okay, and the the current president Donald Trump got over seventy million votes. Mm -hmm. But the president-elect, the now president-elect, uh, Joe Biden, got over 74 million, correct? Close to 75, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Yeah. And so for you're saying, if just to reiterate, if there is voter fraud, you have to, it just has to be like 
a big, big across state line, across party line thing. To well, sure. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is you know with the way we elect president college, you know, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by several million votes back in 2016. And right. even then, when Donald Trump won the election through the Electoral College, he still claimed there were millions of illegal votes that if they were taken out, he would have won the popular vote. So is but it even just now, that people just need to take this as maybe a seventh grade civics class and learn a little well, bit about this stuff? Well, and just kind of some exercise some you know common sense about some of this. So take so let the states that are playing a crucial role here as, as we get as we get down to the wire, you know, Arizona, Nevada, we'll say Pennsylvania and Georgia. It looks like North Carolina is pretty easily won for Donald Trump. Michigan and Michigan is pretty clearly won for Joe Biden. We'll put Wisconsin in that group of, of, of uh, tight states. You know, I think all told, he, Joe Biden was up by 60,000 votes in Pennsylvania this morning. He was up by about 24, 25,000 in Wisconsin, you know, 30,000 in, in, in Nevada, 30,000 in Arizona, 15,000 in uh in Georgia, I mean, we're, you know, we're approaching, you know, over, we're well over a hundred thousand vote margin that decides the electoral college. And when you, when you consider the fact that it's coming from several different states, uh, it's reported at the county level, which is going to have Republicans and Democrats and different in elected positions, counting the ballots and administering the the, the election processes. It just doesn't make sense to 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 attribute this to a mass conspiracy. When the other explanation is that Donald Trump was an historically unpopular president throughout most of his administration, dealing with a once in a lifetime crisis that the American people, a majority of whom had disapproved of uh, his handling uh, since the beginning. And so, I mean, when you have those two explanations, I know which one is more plausible to me. Whew, you know, Dan, you said it, not me. Again, you, you heard him say it. I didn't say it. He he said, <laughs> he's the he's the one with the uh, the degrees. Um, so you know what I find really interesting, Dan, and I, I would like for you to maybe kind of expound upon this is just how you know a lot of the people that you know so vehemently uh, were defending and backing you know President Trump, uh, you know several of them have now kind of taken a step back, like, okay, like this is kind of getting there. Right. Like what was telling for me was watching a clip of Ben Shapiro or however you say his name, um, say, you know, even if there's voter fraud, which we can probably say that there is some, he said, even if it's tens of thousands, we're still not looking at enough to, um, you know, separate the two, right? To be able to make a a comeback large enough to win the election, right? And so you obviously just said that, but I was, I think it's interesting to note that there's people that, you know, are in this quote unquote camp that have been there from the beginning that are now taking the step back. What does that tell you about the state of the Republican party, the state of um, GOP supporters, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, before the election, uh, there were some thoughts that this election would determine the future of so-called Trumpism and, and the relationship of Trumpism with the Republican Party. If Donald Trump had been blown out in the Electoral College and, you know, Joe Biden had gotten a 350 vote 
win compared to the 306 that it's looking like he's going to get. You know, maybe he took Texas or North Carolina. I mean, that would basically be the nail in the coffin, except for the min- the minority you know, of the party who will just claim that it was stolen and fraudulent, et cetera. But what you're seeing now is that given that it was a relatively, well, not relatively close. I mean, Joe Biden ended up winning, you know, popular vote by over 50 or 5 million votes. He's going to get a majority of the, of the popular vote for the first time in a, in a while. The majority of Americans voted for Joe Biden. Um, but you, it wasn't convincing enough to, uh, I guess, assuage the concerns of these uh, really intense Trump voters who are now going to double down and say, well, we go back even harder and faster uh, next time. And so I think that's going to be the thing to watch within the Republican Party is how many folks want to move on and how many folks want to double down and say, hey, it worked for us in 2016. Let's try it again in 2024. Yeah. And so I see this. I see this happening right now in dc is where you have the the political left is upset at the what like the extremism or like what they'll call the extremism of like um aoc and such and and say like hey you almost cost us this election but then you see on the right they're also upset because um this trumpism that you said yeah, we, we're we're probably we're, we're we've got more house. We got more seats in the house. We're probably gonna we're probably gonna hold on to the Senate, depending on what happens mm-hmm. in Georgia. But Trumpism definitely cost us something. It didn't completely fail, but it wasn't a huge success. Well, maybe I think that's right, and I think a lot of the a lot of the concern and a lot of the disappointment by. Uh, Republicans who are generally supportive of the president, but don't go all in on his style of politics, that disappointment stems from, you know, maybe if he just had a slightly better response to the pandemic, right? Maybe if he just approached it with a slightly higher degree of seriousness, then that would have made the difference in some of these key states. I don't know if that's true. Well, I don't, I don't um, think calling it the Kung flu, it makes it any easier for people. No, it doesn't. There's a segment of voters who are, you know, enthralled by that and like that style of politics, but they're not a majority. And, you know, again, comparing this election to 2016, look, both candidates in 2016 were were very unpopular, right? Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were unpopular. They had negative approval ratings. Joe Biden, you know, for all the criticisms you can levy at him, he wasn't Hillary Clinton. He's not a polarizing political figure. For most of his career, he was just kind of a centrist, boring senator from Delaware. Um, and when push comes to shove this election, I think enough people in those key states said, you know what, I don't mind Joe Biden. I don't think he's as corrupt as Hillary Clinton is. And it's been kind of a crazy four years. Um, but that wasn't enough to tamp down the Trumpism for the future. I think we're going to see this roaring back, uh, for the next few years. Well, that's my thing too. I mean, I feel like Joe Biden has been, he's been in, he's been in offices for 47 years. <laughs> this was, and there's nothing flashy about him and the most the most dirt that they had on him was on his son and maybe some uh misquoted things that he might have said in the 90s but other than that he was very he's very there's nothing about him that sticks out to me that says wow this guy is it you know like i remember the uh 2008 election and Mm -hmm. obama how he captivated tons and tons of people for this one i feel like there was more attention actually 
and his VP. Yeah, and, and part of that is the argument that the Trump campaign has been making uh, for a while, you know, saying, okay, we can't really paint Biden as inherently corrupt. I mean, we can go after his son, but that doesn't really seem to be sticking too much. Um, so maybe we could just say that he is a Trojan horse for the far left uh, in, in America. Um, and if you elect Joe Biden, what you're really electing is the far left cadre of AOC, of Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris. And so it was interesting because late in the campaign, Donald Trump, when he was campaigning, referred to Kamala Harris as the Senate's most liberal member. Um, that's kind of a hard sell, given that, uh, given her record in criminal justice over the years, that was something she had overcome. And also the fact that she was in the Senate with Bernie Sanders and a couple of other folks who were maybe further left. Um, but that shows part of the reason why it was a difficult message for the Trump campaign uh, to say, well, look, Joe Biden is this Trojan horse and look, we brought on Kamala Harris. I'm not sure that's the winning message and it turned out not to make a difference. Yeah. So as a Christian, okay, so Joe Biden is 78 or he'll be 78 by the time he gets inaugurated, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no chance he's running for a re-election, right? I would doubt it. Uh, I just don't see him. I don't see anyone at 82 years old running for re-election, although we have several 87-year-old senators, so who knows? But I would be surprised if he ran in 2020. Yeah, and so there's a big fear that um, at some point he's going to step down and Kamala Harris becomes the president. Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think we've been uh, living the last few years in a really unpredictable environment with Donald Trump as president, as a candidate, just a totally different type of person in this office. Um, and so we've, we've come to expect the unexpected. I think it's more likely that Joe Biden serves his term, you know, announces, you know, maybe after the midterm elections, maybe in the summer of 2023, that he's not running for the election. Uh, that he is, uh, you know, going to serve out his term and uh, maybe consider himself kind of a transitional president to a, a different uh, administration, hopefully for his perspective, a Democratic administration. And that's where you'd see someone like Kamala Harris certainly running for the presidency. You'd probably see some other Democrats try to hand on it, too, but she would certainly have the inside track. Uh, all right. So, I mean, it always cracked me up when I saw like commercials of Joe Biden's America, but he was he never was in control of anything. Mm -hmm. uh, I always thought that was awfully yeah. ironic. Cities are burning. It's a disaster. This is Joe Biden's America. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, this is not, it was last America. week. It happened like last four months ago. <laughs> uh, uh, shoot. So, um, you know, I think what's what's really interesting, and one thing that you know, I'll say I'm encouraged by is the fact that, you know, as we talked about earlier, you know, we have uh, a conservative Supreme Court justice. Uh, and as Devon mentioned, you know, the Senate likely will be controlled by Republicans um, or if not, it would be really close. Uh, and then obviously in the executive branch, having Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris, <clears throat> it's really interesting. I think what we're going to see over this presidency well, potential presidency uh, still at this point <laughs> um, is the fact that people are going to have to work across party lines to get things done. And I don't know about you guys, but I think that's really encouraging because uh, I feel as though for the last four years, everything's been so polarizing 
that there's not been much, uh, there's not been much collaboration there, at least from the public perspective. Yeah. I think in. pluralism excites me in this instance, like that we can work together. That there's a chance that we can work together, yeah. and it may not always go in the favor that I want it to be, but I can know that it was a decision made across party lines. See, that's how I feel, too. So I'll agree with that in principle, but then I'll also throw a throw a downer on it. So on the on the principle side, uh, you know, as someone, you know, basically the, the winners of this election in many ways were disaffected Republicans who couldn't stand Donald Trump, but were still generally conservative because they gained seats. Republicans gained seats in the House, as you said, Devrin. Uh, they looks like they'll be able to keep the Senate, barring a pretty surprising result in Georgia in January. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden is president. Uh, you know, I mean, they that means there's divided government. He won't be able to do whatever he wants to do as president. There'll be a check there. Uh, and, and honestly, uh, in terms of stability and in the future of the Republican Party in 2022 in the midterm elections, this sets Republicans up pretty well because usually the party out of power does well in the midterm elections. Yeah. And so it's not totally inconceivable that you could see the Republican Party take back the House in 2022 and maintain or expand their lead in the Senate and, uh, you know, continue to use that leverage to pressure the, the Biden administration to doing things conservatives want. Um, so that, that, that's a win. And I think that is a good thing for pluralism, like you said. Now, the only downside or the only possibility that this is all going to be, you know, disappointing in the end is that uh, it, it depends on how the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, thinks the political tea leaves are looking. You know, he may, he may very well say, um, you know what, it actually benefits us more to not really cooperate with anything the Biden administration does and just basically do the bare minimum to maintain government, you know, pass limited funding bills, et cetera. Um, but, you know, Joe Biden is an old school politician. He thinks he can work across the aisle and, and work with people. And he knows Mitch McConnell. He's known him for a long time. It's possible that might win out. But it's also very possible that this administration could be very ineffective or ineffective. Mm. So you think we're going to have like another Tea Party thing come again? Oh, man, I, I, I should have mentioned this. Uh, my favorite thing after a Democrat's elected is Republicans rediscover the virtues of limited spending and fiscal conservatism. <laughs> you've, already seen, you've already started to see it, man. Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, yeah. said, you know, I mean, we really do need to get our debt under control. That was the record back in you know 2009 with President Obama. Uh, you know, it kind of fell off in, in uh, from 2017 to 2021. But with Biden now going to be taken over, that's going to get a lot of play time, playing time again. So, uh, yes, we're going to see potentially a rise of more limited government. I don't know if it'll look exactly the same as the Tea Party, uh, maybe Tea Party with some Trump elements to it. I'm not sure what that would look like. Uh, but, yeah, we're heading back in that direction for sure. Oh, boy. OK, so basically just buckle in for the next two years, at least. It, it's going to be I don't think it's going to be a lot of kumbaya. Hey, Joe Biden's a nice guy. Let's all get together and work. No, I mean, I think Mitch. Sure. He plays politics tough. He can still win. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Okay. So we just got a new Supreme Court justice. Um, ACB is is now now has a seat there. All right. And how do you? Well, first, what are your opinions about about her as a justice? 
Yeah, I think she's uh, I think she's qualified for the position. That's my first criteria for any Supreme Court justice. Are they qualified? Uh, I love that she doesn't come from a traditional legal background. This isn't to say she was a slouch. I mean, she went to Notre Dame Law School. I think it's a top 20 or 25 law school in the country. But she didn't go to Harvard or Yale. I think that's kind of nice. Everything I've read about her, her personality, her temperament from those who agree and disagree with her, they all say she's a really good person, really nice person, honest and with integrity. So I think in that sense, we should be pleased uh, that this person's on the Supreme Court. Now, obviously, uh, there's going to be things that we disagree with her about and that people disagree with her about. Um, But that gets back to the elections having consequences thing, right? I mean, this is part of the reason why elections matter so much. Um, So, yeah, in general, I'm pretty happy with her as a pick. Uh, If I were to rank the picks, I would put uh, her and Gorsuch in a tier, maybe tier one, and then I'd put Brett Kavanaugh in tier two as far as the nominees I've been most impressed with. So you like the, uh, you like the constitutionalism or the textualism stance? Well, not necessarily. I'm talking about from the Trump administration's perspective. Like, I think, I think they hit home runs with Barrett and Gorsuch. I think Kavanaugh's maybe a double. Um, but uh, you can tell that she's, she, she really does believe these things. She values these things. And all indications are that she's not an opportunist. She's not willing to just change her perspectives to meet a particular end. Um, and that, that is a good thing. I think it's important to have good people in government, even if we don't always agree with them. Yeah. So we have we have a, a country of there's a lot of there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians who are concerned about religious liberties in the United States. I think that her like her getting a seat on the Supreme Court uh, as a Supreme Court justice, like. To me, I think that's a that's a huge a, another win to the already wins that they were already getting. It's it's like the Lakers and when LeBron's there, they just keep on adding players. Um, so I, I I mean I I think like do you have any fear for religious liberty within the next four years? No, no. I mean no. I mean just frankly, uh, and that was. And you said that last time, too, even prior to ACB being announced. Yeah, I mean, I thought the court had a pretty good majority um, on, on religious liberty issues. There's always concerns, you know, what is John Roberts going to do? Uh, you know, Neil Gorsuch wrote the decision in Bostock, which, you know, codified sexual orientation under Title VII for anti-discrimination purposes. But on religious liberty, man, this court has been really, really strong, right? I mean, it, it was just last term they ruled in favor of this uh this broadened ministerial exception, which allowed religious institutions uh, protections from employment discrimination cases, like it further expanded. Yeah. And, and so, so, I mean, and that was, yeah, I don't see that going anywhere in the, in the future. I mean, you basically need to flip two conservative seats for that to even be close to being an issue. Yeah. And so the biggest, uh, the biggest issue right now for a lot of Christians is the issue of abortion. Um, and they are afraid that um, because of what a lot of Democrats' stance are, they want expanded uh, policies on that. I think that having having this majority Senate, um, I think that and having the Supreme Court, the way the makeup of it is that it is right now, do you see a possibility of uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned in the next four years? You know, it's certainly a a greater possibility now than it was uh, before ACB joined the court. Mm -hmm. 
I would still think it's probably most likely that the central premise of Roe v. Wade is upheld in that the court still recognizes a constitutional uh, right to abortion. I think that's, I don't think it's guaranteed. I think it's more likely at this point just because of the cultural fallout that would happen um, should Roe v. Wade be overturned and the issue sent back to individual states where most states, or, you know, a lot of conservative states would just, you know, bar ab abortion altogether, except in the most extreme circumstances. I think what's what's more likely, honestly, with the Supreme Court is for them to uh, basically expand uh, an understanding of what's permissible for the state to regulate on abortion. So uh, in 1992, there was an important Supreme Court case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And in that yeah. decision, the Supreme Court, much to the chagrin of the pro-life movement, upheld Roe v. Wade as a precedent. But it, but said, um, you know, basically, so long as states don't pose an undue burden on this constitutional right, then uh, then that's it's going to be all right uh, for those regulations to stand. So I think it's more likely that what we're going to see over the next few years is that states are going to restrict and regulate abortion in certain ways, maybe clinics, maybe wait wait times, et cetera. And what this Supreme Court's going to say is, well, that's not an undue burden. That's okay. No states, you can do that. That's totally fine. So I think there's still going to be victories for the pro-life movement, even if Roe v. Wade isn't explicitly overturned. So, okay. So, I mean, Dan, I, I love your style. It's always like, here's some good news, but here's some kind of bad news creeping up. <laughs> that's what I think. Okay. So, I think that's I think that's really important. Though. This is yeah. this is good stuff, Dan. I mean, you you may make either a lot of fans or a lot of enemies after this. I just want to warn you. I'm okay with it. I'm okay <laughs> with it. All right. So, obviously, um, like as a as a as a Christian, as an evangelical, um, we got to see, like, if if America is divide is already divided. I think already, like as a culture of, of Christians in America, we are even more so divided. Um, what are like what are some things you're noticing in evangelical evangelicalism like now that, that concerns you? You know, I think uh, there's been a decent amount written on, it's not exclusive to evangelicals, but having politics just play such an important part of our identity. Uh, and I think there's an easy temptation for Christians to adopt a certain political posture and say, well, no, I'm doing this for the sake of X, Y, and Z, when in actuality that ends up becoming an idol in itself, and uh, it divides the community, it divides the church, and that could be a real, real serious problem. So that's one thing that I don't see being solved. Whoa, wait, in the so wait, so wait, so Trumpism, or not even Trumpism, let's call it Bidenism, or whatnot, yeah can be an idol to Christians? What? I know. <laughs> Crazy. It's almost like anything that you let to play such an important role in your life, it can kind of take over that top spot. And that, Of course, that's a danger. <laughs> Damn, you may be on to something. I know, man. It's, uh, we'll, we'll have to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I see a lot of, there's, there's just a lot of, the community has, I'm just going to be honest here for a second that we have seen 
our witness to the world as Christians, like it has been destroyed by this in sense of enamor. Like we're, we're just enamored by who Trump was. And we have completely sold out to the golden calf of Trumpism. And so, I mean, do you kind of agree with that or do you not, or you see something completely different? Yeah, no, no personally, personally, I, I do. I think that it's more difficult uh, for a Christian witness to, uh, to be seen when we're lining up without any reservations behind a, a person who so, you know, brazenly doesn't represent those same values. Now I will say that, I think it's perfectly reasonable for Christians to vote for people who don't necessarily share their, their values necessarily, but we have to be open and honest about the nature of the relationship, right? It's one way to, it's one thing to say, well, this is purely a transactional relationship. I'm voting for Donald Trump because of conservative judges and because I get Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme court, but that's very different from someone saying, well, actually, no, I like his fighting style. It's important for Christians to fight back against this hostile culture. I think that is dead wrong. And I think that sets us up for some real problems moving forward. So as long as we're honest about our motivations, I think that's a first step. But I, but I think too many Christians, like you suggested, have just seen Donald Trump as kind of this, this idol to, uh, to, to emulate. And I do think that is a problem moving forward. You know, Dan, every everything, everything you've said today has been a mic drop. It, it has. I said this last time, like, you know, I feel like you could just about tweet everything you say. Um, you know, I think it's, it's so I think we're seeing how important it is for us to cling to Christ um, and that it's even more important, not more important, but it's equally as important to tell others that, like, that's where we cling, um, because if you. Like right now, if you get into a conversation with anyone and your viewpoint is in opposition to them, like it's a shutdown mode, you know, it's almost like you have to preface everything you say. And I think it just speaks to the division that we're in. Um, so I, I think it's uh, it's peculiar times. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, I, I do think there's opportunities for Christians to approach the next few years uh, and, and not simply roll over when there's things that that uh, right. you know are counter to the you know the church's mission. You know we shouldn't just roll over and say, well, you know Jesus said we were going to be hated, so what's the point of engaging anymore or fighting for what we believe? And I, I do obviously there's a a role and, and an important role that Christians play in trying to secure the common good and look out for the marginalized and the oppressed. But we, we should do that in a more holistic way. And that's why I really like people like like Justin Gibney, Michael Ware, um, even Russell Moore. Right. I mean, he's a pretty conservative guy, but yeah. he has a lot of people on the so-called conservative side really upset with him because he doesn't toe the the Republican Party line. Um, and I think basically the bottom line is this. If you find yourself in disagreement with both major political parties on some important issues, I think that's a good thing. Right. I think that that means that you're that you're not falling so cleanly and neatly into that place where you're letting your faith just fit into a political platform. Um, we should look to be uncomfortable in, in that world. So I just want to clarify, Dan, are you yeah. saying that it's possible for Christians to vote Democrat and still be Christian? 
Yeah, I think so. Strangely enough. Get out of town. You're kidding me. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, in the same way that uh, in, in the same way that I would hope the Christians who vote for Democrats would say once, you know, Democrats are elected to be like, all right, let's talk about abortion now. Let's talk about how we can right. we can have policies that limit the number of abortions in this country that make the numbers go down. Yeah. So how do we uh, hold how do we hold our officials right, accountable? Man, well, um, you know, certainly, uh, well, it depends on what level of government we're talking about. But for you know, for elected officials, you, or for for you know, like presidents and, and senators, whatever, you you are looking for these interest groups to apply the pressure, and that's where we need to be supportive of these groups, like the AND campaign, like I think the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, that are consistent on a lot of these Christian issues. Yeah. But individually, it's it's calling and saying, look, I'm a you know, I'm a Christian. I know that you're you know, you say you're a Christian. That's great. I think we can we can have some. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of cheesy to think that calling your elected officials makes a difference. But especially at the local level, that's where you actually make those contacts. So, um, yeah, I've had good luck with that with my students who have contacted their elected officials at the, at the local level. Um, yeah, cool. that's awesome. really, really that's helpful. really good advice. Too. Uh, but yeah, we have to be we have to be willing to to dialogue and not just when we win, you know, quote quote win, just kind of sit back and say, well, we're good for the next few years. Now to defend everything this candidate does, regardless of whether it lines up with our faith, um, because we need to win and the other side needs to lose. I don't think that's healthy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I mentioned it, you know. Uh, I think it was very clear about, you know, the fact that people felt like if you weren't all in, let's just, let's just call it, call it what people feel about. If you weren't all in on the Trump train, you're clearly like this, like leftist liberal, like quote unquote snowflake that wants, you know, liberalism and socialism to take over the world. Right. And I just think that's such an unfair statement. Um, but, you know, I said it right away as soon as it was announced that, uh, you know, uh, Biden was the president elect. Like, it's time for us to hold him accountable. You know, obviously not exactly. Yeah. Time, right. You said January, January 20, 20th, 2021. But, you know, like, in my opinion, like the accountability yeah. is the same, like the same level of accountability that we showed for that. Like, I felt like I showed for for Donald Trump. I, I want to apply the same pressure and, uh, you know, that same level of hey like if you're not going to get the job done like like you see what just happened to you know the most polarizing president in our nation's history at least in recent history um like it's possible to get voted out and so i think that's really important and uh one of my favorite people to follow on social media is uh propaganda he's a, a hip-hop artist and um activist and uh in california and he tweet <laughs> he tweeted the the night of uh the uh, the speech mm. that Joe and, and Kamala made, I guess that was like a, last weekend. And he said, he said, congrats, you know, to Joe and Kamala, but we on your yep. heads if you don't do what you say you were going to do. And, and, and I just was like, yes, like facts, like, like this just isn't a W and we, when we, and we're cool, you know, and, and that's not when I say a W mm -hmm. it's whoever, whatever side you're on, just like what you're saying, man, it's just, that's really important for us to realize that it doesn't matter that it doesn't stop at the win or loss. So, I mean, even on the same thing, though, Dave, I think like our Christian neighbors who voted for Trump, um, we can't like 
we can't just assume they're all racist and, and, and bigots as well. And so, exactly. so Daniel, I, I want to ask you this question is moving forward. How do we reconcile with our neighbors with that? We have such stark com, uh, political differences with. So I would start from the perspective of giving your brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt. That doesn't mean you have to, that doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they say. That doesn't also, that also doesn't mean that it's going to pan out that way as you have those conversations. But if you go into a discussion with someone who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020, and you think the only reason they did that is because they're a racist, they're a bigot, they don't like, um, you know, they don't like gay people, whatever, whatever the question, whatever the issue might be, that's going to cloud your ability to have a conversation. I think one of the coolest things is talking to people that you don't agree with and trying to figure out why. Like, why do, you, why do you make your decisions the way that you do? I think those are really cool conversations to have. So there's plenty of people in Siloam Springs that I've spoken mm -hmm. to. And it's like, yeah, I voted for Donald Trump, not because I you know, really care for his personality. But, man, I just I really am, am, am fearful of the Democratic Party. OK, yeah. well, we can talk about that. Um, but, yeah, let's talk about why. And, right. and I'll tell you my perspective. And so that's where especially Christians man, we need to have these, we need to be able to have these conversations. If we can't have these conversations about politics, how are we able to have these conversations about the stuff that is eternally important? And that is, I mm. think, the large, the largest issue that the church is facing. If we can't have these conversations outside our buildings with folks who disagree with us, then what are we even doing here? Yeah, yeah, you preach on I mean, that. I'm, my Twitter's about to blow up if I just, I'm just going to tweet everything you say from here on out. So that, I mean, that brings up a point that uh, Devon, you know, mentioned a few minutes ago is like our witness. And, uh, you know, <laughs> our witness just isn't important every four years, right? Our witness is important day in and day out. And um, I actually will shout out to my pastor this morning. He mentioned something about the fact that as we as we are Christians for longer and longer, it seems as though we are around less lost people. And that's because we don't put ourselves in their space. Right. Because we're kind of like comfortable, you know, in our Christian spaces or whatever. And for the most part, anyway, I find that really interesting because I think that's a lot of like we put ourselves in these echo chambers of people that think like us and, and act like us and um, do the things that we do. And it's so important for us to, no matter who somebody voted for, no matter, you know, where they sit on the spectrum, if we can't sit down and have that conversation with them, we'll never be able to be witnesses in, yeah. the, in their life. And um, it's even important with other believers that we, you know, reconcile with them and uh, we push for that, that sense of, Hey, like we're, we're going to come together and um, you know, really try to, you know, love each other as, as yeah, it's a much more proactive, uh, effort, right. Uh, in the difference between being a peacemaker versus a peacekeeper, right. The, the active process uh, of dialogue. Um, and so especially, I think this is especially, uh, easier to do, or at least, uh, maybe puts you in a slightly better position to do when you've won something and, and to, to approach the, the conversation with a sense of humility, with a, with a sense of genuine, you know, magnanimity where you're really just seeking to understand and, and 
uh, hear from those who are disappointed. Like we've had conversations on our campus in the last couple of weeks, like let's talk through these election results, right? Cause there's gonna be people who are really excited. There's gonna be people who are, who are fearful and, and upset. And yeah. it takes an effort to right. do that, but I, I still think it's worth it, uh, particularly the church. Like we should be different. The, the, you know, society should be able to look at us and know that there's something different about us in the way that we engage in our, in our politics and our culture and, and the rest of these things. Now listen. So I have a question for you real quick. This is my last <laughs> question. <I'm done. laughs> um, so what, you know, Dan, as somebody that's in the, in the political spectrum, you know, in terms of, uh, or in this political space, in terms of being a, a professor, what would you say to somebody that is maybe the one person in their space that voted one way or the other, right? So like somebody that maybe is, you know, a Biden supporter and everybody surrounding them is a Trump supporter. And even though Trump lost, like that's still a really hard place to be mm. in, especially like if you're in church, right? Like those are people that you're that, you know, because of the common denominator of Jesus, like you're supposed to love them, but like that can feel really difficult. And then vice versa, the person that's the, the Trump supporter in a space of a, of a large amount of Biden supporters where like they're facing the fact that their person lost and that they may be scared, like you were saying. Yeah, I think the what first thing, I mean, obviously you can't control how other people are going to react, right? And that's what that's one of the that's one of the difficult things about having these conversations as the extreme minority. Um, you know, I think one thing we can do, you know, proactively and for ourselves is to pray for opportunities to talk about these things in a way that is productive. Uh, so just like we pray for opportunities to share the good news with others, you know, hopefully we are. Um, we should be praying that, you know, we're, we're able to discuss difficult co uh, concepts and difficult ideas with people in our, in our church community and our church body. And hopefully if the church is a healthy one, you know, we can disagree with each other, but there should also be a process for, for airing those disagreements for the sake, not of winning an argument, but rather for the sake of understanding one another. And so if you're in that position as the only right. one who voted, let's say for Biden in, in 2020 and everyone else voted for Trump, you know, I, I really just would, would hope that you do have that confidence and, and pray for that confidence when those conversations do come up. And maybe you shouldn't be the one to instigate it, right? But if, the, if that does come up, say, well, you know, here, here's how I feel about this. And, and uh, it's going to take some courage, right? But maybe that is something that people in the congregation don't know about. Maybe they don't, they wouldn't have thought that someone in the congregation would have voted for someone, you know, who they did. Um, so there could, be, sure. there could be an important role to play there. But I understand that it, that it is difficult. But just as we pray for courage in other circumstances, we, could, we should pray for courage too here. Because uh, these are difficult conversations sometimes. So, Dan, so we've, we've, I think we've talked about almost every Debbie Downer thing that we could talk about so far. So I want to talk about something a little bit more optimistic. Like, as a, as a Christian, going forward, what is something that you're looking forward to with this next administration coming in? Um, so the one thing I'm looking forward to is, uh, you know, the Biden, president elect Biden has already said that he's going to raise the cap on refugees coming into the country, um, which I think is, is, uh, unquestionably a good thing. Uh, the refugee vetting process in the United States is extraordinarily rigorous and the people who take advantage of this program are coming from some of the most difficult circumstances and situations on the planet. 
so I think it's great when we're welcoming people who are seeking refuge to the United States. That's basically, I mean, that's almost the American dream, right? That's, that's what we exist to do. But man, for the church, what a great opportunity that is to, to serve a lot of new people coming in from different cultures and backgrounds and situations and just lavish the love of Christ on these people. Uh, and just show the just show who Jesus is authentically, and that that is something. By the way, the last few years I've been really encouraged by, despite the divisive rhetoric and the and the policy changes limiting who can come into the country and from where, the 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 outliers in most cases tend to be the churches, right? Even though those churches maybe would you know if you ask individuals, oh yeah, I voted for Donald Trump, the churches themselves are like, man, we're going to serve these people when they come into our community, and so. That's what I'm excited about. More opportunities to serve um, more refugees coming into the United States. I think it's a good thing. Um, and I'll just be, I guess, more, I guess I'll try to, to make a good, you know, see good in the potential challenging. More opportunities to share why we are about what we're about, right? Particularly, uh, you know, with a, an administration that isn't going to agree on you know, a lot of reasons why, say, like a college like mine, John Brown University, would believe a certain thing about marriage and why that should affect our hiring process for faculty and staff. I would hope that that opens up opportunities to share why we believe the things we do. And it's not just because, oh, we really just don't like gay people, right? It's going to be a challenge, yeah. but I think there's there's the potential for some really constructive conversations to happen in the next few years. Now, that might be a little too optimistic, but that's something I'm kind of looking forward to. We'll check back with me in a few years, though. <laughs> yeah, so so, we, so we, we're, we're going <laughs> to put sure. you on the calendar for a couple of years now to pick yeah, right. up on the show so we can talk about this again. Hmm. So... Uh, Dan, I, I mean, I, I really appreciate your time in, in like addressing all my concerns. I feel like I'm, I've taken a couple steps off the off the edge today. Um, I was I was about to, I was about to I was about to leap. You know, I was freaking out. You know, I didn't think that you know I didn't think our election was legitimate. I thought there was legal votes coming. I didn't know what to think. But thank you for filling up all this stuff uh, and and just making it so plain to to me and all the listeners out there. <laughs> Um, the, uh, one last thing I'm about to just, uh, I got, I have to talk to you about is, uh, the bubble blazers, man. You had the most exciting team in the bubble. How, how it was great. How did, how, how was that seeing Damian Lillard play in a different world for two weeks? It was great. No, Lillard was otherworldly. Uh, you know, he, he was unquestionably the MVP of that. Well, I don't know, unquestionably. He was, he was top two or th- top two in the MVP of the bubble, for sure, at least in the regular season bubble. Um, for sure. It was so much fun to watch. And, uh, I, you know, they, they were a limited team in a variety of ways. They really couldn't play defense. Uh, so my whole goal was, hey, let's just get them to the playoffs. Let's get to the playoffs, overcome that deficit with Memphis. And, uh, and they did that. Like uh, that was the weight lifted off my shoulders. They shed that. They got into the playoffs. They took a win from the Lakers, Dave. Um, they won one from the defending champs. They were yeah, up one to nothing did. for a time. Um, great moments too, right? Lillard pulling up from the logo several times. Two, two of my favorite moments actually. <laughs> logo, so man. one of them was with Lillard. He pulled up. It was against the Nets, I think. He pulled up from 35 feet, you know, yeah. 
and immediately Brooklyn called a timeout and you could see guys on the bench yelling at the guy who was guarding Lillard, basically like, you need to guard him. Like you can't, you can't just ease off. Like he's going to, he's going to pull up and he's going to hit that. I just love that moment. Like, and it wasn't even frustration. It was more like education. Like you, you, you got to guard this guy. And then my okay, other Don't favorite moment was in the, uh, one of the, one of the games with Memphis with, with, with CJ, I think he just, crossed over between the legs, I don't know, half a dozen times. I think it may have been Morant. It may have been someone else. And then his, he can't guard me, which I thought was pretty fun. Um, so those are my bubble blazers memories. What a fun season it turned out to be after a pretty scary time. It did. It did. And can you guys believe that the season starts back it's up? Like and I just read that uh, the crazy. Lakers are going to trade for Schroeder. Good grief. That was a it's it's a yeah, robbery. That's a good pickup. Yes, it's, it's, pick it's a robbery is what that is. The rich get danger. richer. Well, I don't know. I guess that they're just going into full blown tank mode at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're probably gonna see the the Thunder. I guess I don't know why you would trade Schroeder or not. I mean if you can just, find someone to take Paul then Yeah. You gotta do it. I guess next year's draft yeah. is supposed to be pretty loaded compared to this one. So maybe they're maybe yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, draft that's, coming that's, on Wednesday, right? That's my Super Bowl. That. Um, who's pick? That's it's got to be Anthony Edwards. It's the safest pick. I would pick Edwards. It's it's probably going to be Paul, right? I think Edwards is the safe yeah. pick. I think Edwards is the safe. I think Ball would pick first. I would pick Edwards uh, too. Um, I, I just don't trust another ball in the NBA. Uh, don't. <laughs> the Duke can score, but I mean Edwards is the. I mean we we have and a he looks ready. Like he looks he like he could play, you know, from, you know, right now. Like he, he, you could plug him into any of the teams in the bubble, and he'd be a serviceable one. guy. I think at that point. I'm excited yeah, to he, see uh, where he, he's going to translate. Really interesting. He's, 20, he's he's right now. He's like I think he's yeah. nine months older than Colin Sexton is. It's it's so wild to think about. Like, oh that's my goodness, he's, he's like, and that's that's kind of why his draft stock has been tanking a little bit because he's he's older than everybody else. Yeah, that age matters. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, it does. It does. Well, Dan, as always, well, <laughs> as always, I say it like you're on every no, week, but you are. Dan, we're gonna have you. So we're gonna have you back on before. You know, there's gonna be something that's gonna <laughs> pop up, and we're gonna have to have you back on. <laughs> Just hey, can I say something though for real? Like, I think for me, one thing I've learned about this election is that I've got to not just mm. be engaged in presidential election times. Yeah, like I think that's really matter. important that I learned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay, you know, staying up on who's representing you they in do. the state legislature, who's running for local positions. I mean, even city board, depending on what your town is, like you can sit in on those meetings and have conversations with people. Like that's where a lot of local stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you, you, you. Every it's time beautiful. you're on the show, I, I learn something. So that's good. Well, I, um, I really appreciate. It. So we're gonna have you on because surely there's gonna be something that's gonna happen that's gonna that we're gonna have to hit you up again and have you on the show to teach us a lesson again. Um, <laughs> but uh, I really appreciate your time and having you on the show today, man. It it really means a lot. Anytime, guys. Good to be with y'all. Absolutely.
All right. Well, on behalf. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, on behalf of the show, Dave, I'll see you later, man. Peace.